Please note, in this episode, we are discussing topics that could be triggering to some listeners. Feel free to skip this episode if you need or want. Hey y'all, welcome back to Prevention Nation. Where we believe education and awareness can change the culture of violence. My name is Roy Lutz. And I'm Shelby Russell. So, welcome back to Prevention Nation. Uh... It's uh, Roy here, as usual, with uh, Shelby, and uh, we're going to talk today a little bit about kind of a serious topic. Uh, That's probably why you um, heard at the beginning of this episode our trigger warning, because we're going to talk about relationships, and most importantly, and I think more specifically, about unhealthy relationships and some things that uh, are barriers that prevents people from escaping or leaving those unhealthy relationships. Uh, How are you, Shelby? I'm good. Yeah? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You ready for a heavy topic today to yes, discuss? Yes, I am. This is a very important topic to me, and I teach it all the time. So I'm ready uh-huh. to get in deeper. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's jump in. What's uh, what's the topic specifically so, that we want to know? There's a couple ways you can ask this question, but basically, why don't people leave? Why, when someone is in an abusive or just unhealthy relationship, yeah. why do they stay, or why don't they leave? Why are they? Are you asking me? Yeah, yeah, I'm asking both of us. I have Um, some answers too. You know, I I, I think that's one of those interesting things that long before I ever got into this work, I used to have a whole bunch of ideas. And it's hard for me to even remember back to when I was not thinking in healthy ways about why people, you know, don't leave. But now it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's any clearer with all my education and information. It's very hard to leave. I, I get it. I mean, it's uh, there are any number of factors. Do we want to start diving into some factors? Yeah. There, I mean, Kids. Yeah. Kids, right? Obviously, obviously, I think um, it's better and healthier for kids to have parents separated, to have caregivers separated and not it's, fighting than it is to have right. them together, to have that nuclear family and have nothing but fighting, screaming, abuse. Um, I think that's obviously more detrimental. However, I don't know if life works that way. Life is rarely super black and white. I mean, there are obviously the families out there, the cases out there where there is that kind of abuse going on. But what does one do when they're in a relationship where it's not that quick, easily identifiable abuse? Like, I'm not, you know... There's no bruises. There's just unhappiness, high levels of unhappiness, lots of jealousy and control. But it doesn't, you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't feel like um, I'm in an abusive relationship per se. Just feels really unhealthy. Leaving, that's impactful on kids. What do you do? So I think one thing you said is really, really big. So people may not even realize that they're in an abusive relationship in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's a huge barrier. If you don't think your relationship's unhealthy, or maybe maybe you are unhappy, yeah. but you're not, you think that, I mean, maybe you watched your parents have an unhappy marriage or even an mm-hmm. abusive relationship where you think that's normal. So you might think that this is the way relationships are supposed to go. This is the way I, my marriage is supposed to go. This is the way we're supposed to parent our kids. So you may not even have a reason to leave, you know? Um, I think a lot of... Another thing that you mentioned is sometimes it's better to be separated and happy on your... You know, two parents separated, but happy Mm -hmm. rather than 
two people together, but they're unhappy, they're fighting. It could be a bad influence on the kids. It could be dangerous for the kids, things like that. But I think sometimes a really a reason that people stay in those kinds of households and they don't want to get, you know, divorced or separate or whatever is to prove something sometimes. I think that mm-hmm. can be a barrier. You know, if you ran off and got married when you were 18 and had kids right away and now you and find yourself... everybody said it wasn't going to work out, but I'm going to make it work. Yeah. How do yeah. I tell my parents 10 years later, 20 years that later... That's not working. Oh, wait, you were right. I probably shouldn't have done that. Well, and there's embarrassment too. I yeah. think um Shame. Shame for your friends. Your, you know, you have other friends who you've maybe joked about, like, oh, their marriage is... And now here you are the one getting divorced. I mean, I think that's, or leaving a relationship. Um, You also said another thing a second ago that I think might be probably one of the most impactful factors is normalized abuse and normalized mistreatment. Um, If I grew up seeing that, like, this is what a marriage looks like, this is what a relationship looks like, um, I'm less inclined to leave it when I'm in my, when my, when I myself am in a bad relationship because I don't perceive that as abuse. This is just, he just yells. She just yells. He just loves me and is jealous a lot of times or she, it's those, but, but they love me, but they, you know, because you've normalized that kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. And if you love them, if you, if there are any type of ups with the downs, it could be like, oh, it's worth it because, you know, they may, they may scream at me sometimes. They may control me in this way or that way, but I know that I'm going to have somebody to sleep next to every night. I know I'm going to have somebody to, you know, bring me flowers on my birthday. They always make sure my... I'm always going to have a roof over my head. Exactly. Things like that. I mean, that's getting into even more. But I mean, another thing is just the thought of marriage is so like, it's a legal binding agreement, document. Mm -hmm. Financially, you could be... Getting a divorce is a big deal. It's hard. I was just going to say the other barrier is expensive. Yes. You said financial. That costs money. Right. And if you are the person that is financially dependent on the other, if you don't have a job, maybe either just because you you don't have a job or because maybe somewhere down the line they convinced you that you could quit your job because they would provide for you and it Mm -hmm. would be better for the kids. So now you don't have a job. Could have been on purpose or it could have been just just a way of them trying to help you. Yeah. But now you're like, I haven't had, I have a gap of, you know, 10 years where I haven't worked. I've been a stay-at-home mom and how am I going to provide for my kids? Yeah. I anticipate taking my children with me. Where to? I, yeah. I don't have a job. I don't have an apartment. I don't have any place to take them. So right away, the barrier to leaving is if I leave with no money, no job, no house, literally homeless and jobless. Yeah. Um, uh, my kids can't come with me. So now I won't have control. You know, I won't be able to have my kids. That That's going to be another control that that person has over me. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be a huge barrier. Yeah. Could be a huge barrier. Even so. if you don't, even if you don't have kids, if you don't have a, you know, a job or money of your own, yeah. a car, mm-hmm. um, like, I, like you said, and maybe you don't have any knowledge of how to do any of this on your own. Yeah. Maybe you've been with them since you were, possibly you know just started adulthood and so now you don't have any idea how to this could have been them purposely controlling you in this way by not letting you have knowledge you don't know how to pay bills you don't know how to get credit you don't know how to drive you don't know how to get a you know use your id and get like you don't know how to do adult things on your own because they've always taken care of it for you you were like oh great this is awesome but now that (laughs) now that you don't have that person or you're thinking of leaving them 
that's a really scary thing. You have to learn all these things on your own and completely restart. Yeah. And I know, so it's interesting to say that because growing up, and I'm, I'm pretty open about my life, but growing up uh, in my family, my mom, um, I was exposed to domestic violence all the time as a kid. My mom was always with abusive men. And, uh, you know, I can tell you uh, what you just said, that starting over was one of my mom's primary barriers. My mom, which is ironic because most of the abusers that she was involved with, they don't, they, I don't recall them contributing at all to our household. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like they were paying bills. Um, I mean, it felt like they were just another child for my mom to have to take care of. But my mom was so afraid of being alone and starting over. So afraid. The thought of being alone terrified her. She would, she would rather, she felt more comfortable having somebody in the home to share those, those responsibilities with who hurt her versus trying to figure out how to do it all on her own by herself safely um so financially she was i mean she was making it happen as yeah she worked two three jobs my whole time growing up yeah but the maybe codependency or the thought of being alone was scarier than the thought of being hurt yeah that's that that was definitely the thing for my mom and then you know oddly enough too my mom um my mom also was a sex addict um, so for my mom, it was sex. That was mm-hmm. another thing that she talked about frequently, that that was something that that my mom equated sex with intimacy and love. Mm-hmm. So to her, um, if somebody was willing to be, you know, have a sexual relationship with her, they must love me. They must, this, this delusion that this gentleman, this man was abusive to her um, and sex was just nothing to them, it meant nothing to them. Um, except another means of control and coercion over her in what she perceived as a healthy relationship. So, you know, so I mean, yeah, it can be that starting over, that being alone, that codependency, the sexual intimacy. Um, mm-hmm. It's a challenge for a lot of people to overcome. Yeah. So they just have no one. Or if that person finds out that I've moved on and mm-hmm. they know where I live. Yeah. There's another man coming over. Yeah. You know, if they're a violent person. That might not go over well. They right. might be so afraid. That, yeah, that's. I mean, that's got to be one if of the most obvious. If you ever leave me, I will kill you. Mm-hmm. As a as an example. And that's common. if you've heard that threat. How <laughs> yeah. how do you have confidence leaving? Especially with your mom had a had at least you. I know. Yeah, me and my sister um, in the home. Yep. Yeah. So kids and you got to protect your kids. So if that means you take, you know, I guess the beating. Yeah. For your kids so that they're safe because you know that this is a dangerous person. They don't mind hurting kids. Yeah. Mm, you're going to probably stay with them, right? So, I mean, that that's a huge thing that people don't think about. And that's a very severe example, but yeah. it happens. It's actually, I think it is severe, but I don't know if it's, I'm glad that you didn't say uncommon because mm-hmm. I don't know if it's terribly uncommon. I mean, I, I've spent years working with families who are going through um, abusive relationships, domestic violence, uh, intimate partner violence, and... I'll tell you that failed to protect paradigm that that uh, systems perception of a mother failing to protect and protect or a parent I should say caregiver failing to protect because they stay in a relationship. Oftentimes it was that threat of it was that threat of bodily harm or death um, that kept them there and that was their means of protecting their own kids. Their kids right. can't survive without me, so I have to stay here. So yes, 
getting hurt regularly and routinely is better than being killed and leaving my child without a parent. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, that fail to protect paradigm gets really muddied up when we talk about not leaving for fear. Mm-hmm. You know, that imminent death, that threat of death over your head. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. Yeah. Or your child being hurt severely. Yeah, absolutely. Being taken kidnapped or something. You never mm-hmm. know. I mean, well, obviously this is a dangerous person. Yeah. And you were just about to say the word taken away. Like, I, I, I sense that you yeah. pulled back on that. But that's another threat. You know how often um, in my work I've also encountered cases where when um, the one caregiver leaves, the other caregiver will make false reports to children's services mm-hmm. and to other agencies in an attempt to get that child removed. If I can't have the kid, nobody's going to have the kid kind of mentality, right? right? Um, that's another big fear. I'd be scared to leave if I was told, if you leave, you'll never see your kid again one right. way or another, you know? So it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. so there's, there's a few huge reasons. I what are the think, reasons we have? I think that all of the reasons we've <clears> listed so far have one thing in common, and that is fear. They are afraid. There is something that will happen that could be worse than what I'm going through, which sometimes isn't true, right? Obviously, there is ways for Mm. you to get a job. There's ways for you to take care of your kids. There's ways to provide. But that's their perception. It's not It's not necessarily mm-hmm. what the reality is. It's what the perception or what the abuser has. And perception has. is reality for people. Right. The Or the abuser could have spent the last, you know, however many years they've been together convincing them you can't have a job. Yeah. You, how are you going to get a job? You you didn't graduate high school or you didn't graduate college. You can't have a job. You you can't do anything. You have, a, you have a 10-year gap on your resume. You can't do anything. Now you've crossed over into, I think, it's probably what is more the psychological component of why yes. people don't leave. Um, it is, I think if a listener is listening to this and it, everything sounds so foreign, sounds so bizarre, I, you know, I, I understand that. But then I think you, you're not really understanding the depths to which an abuser will damage a person's um, self-esteem and self-image as um, a part of their abuse. It's the, it's that what keeps the control. Like you said, if, if, uh, if I've told you and convinced you every day for the better part of your adult life that you are unintelligent, you're unemployable, you're a terrible parent, you're a terrible housekeeper, you're a terrible um, uh, lazy person, lazy, yeah. just good for nothing, you're selfish yeah. and you're, you just don't understand things. If I've, if I've laid that foundation where you just don't believe you're even deserving of anything good, there's no way you know how to get a job. You don't know how to fill out a resume. You don't, you've been convinced of that. I think the barrier to leaving is you don't think you can. Right. That's huge. And we have to remember when we're discussing this topic, abusers are not your average person, right? I mean, they might appear to be your average person. They might have an average job. They might have an average look to them. Mm -hmm. But they are, they could be a narcissist. They could be even, you know, a sociopath. They could be, these are people who are very good at manipulating, controlling changing pe- gaslighting changing people's perception of reality especially if they have years and years to do it and another aspect i want to talk about is isolation i was just going to say like everything yeah. you were just saying i was going to say and on top of that isolating you from everybody you know your all your support systems your caregivers your you know your family parents whatever your siblings your mm-hmm. your own children in some cases your job so, your yeah. work whatever it is yeah and isolation doesn't always occur overnight right it's not Somebody, you know what I mean? It's slowly but surely. Every time you want to hang out with your mom or every time you want to hang out with your sister, 
I'm going to make up something else that we have to do instead. Or I'm going to have an emergency where you have to come home. Or I'm going to call you 10 times in a row and ruin your time so that every time you hang out with them, you're em- you're too embarrassed to go. Yeah. It's things like that. Little things like that. And you might not even, as the you know survivor victim, you might not even realize that they are doing this to you, right? Mm-hmm. You, you just expect... You expect somebody to have your best interest in mind or you might be manipulated by thinking there really is an emergency or there really is a reason you can't go. But you don't you don't connect the dots until it's too late, right? You yeah. and, Until you um, have moved across the country with them or right. just moved across the city or just, you know, you but could you've live, uprooted yourself right. from what your your normal support systems and changed what you're comfortable with. Your, yeah, changed your connect, lost connections. Or maybe they convince you that this is normal. You're in a relationship. You don't need to still talk to your old friends from high school. Why would you need them? This yeah. You're an adult now. They might, you know, gaslight you in that way. I think that's a Absolutely. lot of it is just the mind games and the psychology behind convincing someone of all of these things so so i mean and i think that's just you know i think we've you know we've listed out several very serious i think very powerful very um uh important things to understand around why people don't leave are there are there other ones that are don't seem quite as heavy i mean you know as like threats definitely yeah so what are some Um, of those so when i think of like teenage relationships Mm -hmm. um i mean some of there still could be heavy but you know like if someone blackmails you right or if they have something that you don't you know maybe they have a picture of you that you don't want out Mm -hmm. that's blackmail you could be like if i leave them they will leak this my life will be over but you're especially especially vulnerable at that age you know when you have you know parents are controlling you it's not like you can just go home to your house and uh you know, your parent like, you have consequences. They could also, like, there's the social aspect. They could spread rumors about you. You know, they could, this might be a person that you are going to prom with. And now if, if I break right. up with them, I won't have a prom date. It could be, like, something really shallow like that. Or it mm-hmm. could be something deep, like, you know, like I said, blackmail and stuff like yeah. that. Which I think is really important to distinguish because I think the stuff that we were talking about in the, in the former part of this uh, podcast was was the long-term, that long-term impact, that long-term control and coercion. But the thing I think a person needs to understand about domestic violence and abusers is that it's a pattern of behavior. It's not an isolated incident. This is a pattern of behavior. So I think it's really also equally important to talk about that, the beginning stages of it, which is what I think you are bringing up here, which is teen dating mm-hmm. violence. Um, some of those those things that we generally uh, in our classes talk about is these are the red flags, which are all the things that you just listed. They, you know, they're they're exhibiting this behavior because they really care about me. They want to see my phone. They want to see this or they want, they don't want me talking to other, you know, people of the opposite sex because, you know, they know what those people are interested in. And they're just trying to protect me. So it's a lot of those little things that beginning indicators, those red flags that um, could later become just a part of that pattern of control. Um, but yeah, it's, right. I don't want to leave somebody um, you know, as a, you know, reflecting back on my teen years and even young adult years was, um, I really like this person. Exactly. I know they don't treat me well, but they're really fun to be around most of the time. And I really like them. They're cute. They bring yep. me new friends. They invite me to all the parties. Yeah. They're part of, and I think you brought this up. They're part of my social identity. It's, mm-hmm. I go to school. This is, you know, it, this is 
me. This is part of who I am here at the school and how people know me is in this relationship with this other person. And that's why, that's one of the main reasons why in my program, which is <clears throat> typically freshmen yeah. and sophomores, I try to really hit on the freedom that should be in relationships. You should have your own separate identity. So that yeah. way, if you do break up or need to break up, it's not like you're losing a part of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, don't attach them to your identity. Yeah, so, absolutely. Super so, severely. Yeah, so I think there are lots of, um, obviously. There's many that we didn't mention either. I mean, we have like, terminal illness things like that like oh yeah a lot I mean, of it things. can go to it can go to just extremes like you said terminal illness um it can go all the way down to really superficial stuff like um we're the power couple at school yeah. you know where this is I'm uh, afraid i can't someone <clears throat> find someone hotter than them right somebody i mean it which seems superficial but not to make light of teen dating relationships. Mm-hmm. Those are powerful things for teens to be going through at that time mm-hmm. i don't even recall um, how it felt, the weight of being a teen in school. But I have kids and I see it means yeah. a lot. Just a picture shared right. can change your status mm-hmm. at a school. So I, for them, it's very serious. Mm-hmm. It's not to you know be taken lightly. What do we want? What do we want listeners to get out of this though? What? Just all the bad things they should be aware? Mm, absolutely not. I think a really important takeaway for me that I, I would like to teach is basically, don't like don't judge someone that mm-hmm. is you know I, this is a really big part of intervention or bystander intervention yeah. that I teach so let your friend make their own choices right because it we know it takes an average of seven times yeah. for a victim to leave their abuser right mm-hmm. so they it, this might happen this might be cyclical it might seem annoying it might seem like nonsensical how could you possibly not leave them yeah. There's a lot of things, both, you know, fiscally or just emotionally, that you don't might not quite understand. Yeah. Understanding so, that might help you be a little more tolerant, a little more absolutely. patient, or even helpful. Helpful, absolutely. Yeah, and be more prepared, not for if, but for when they need you, because they will need you at some point. Right. Um. So yeah, this is. I hope that's. I think that's my biggest uh, desire and hope for a takeaway out of this for the listeners is recognizing that this person might call on you sometime or will call on you sometime and you're not going to be blaming. You're not going to be, because that, that is a, I, yeah, I think barrier. another barrier for leaving. People are going to blame me. They're going to, it's going to be humiliating. Help make that process not humiliating and blaming for them. Yeah. So, and yeah. then I think what we can end on is basically safe on Maine. <clears throat> literally we have a shelter. So yeah. I'm going to take a wild guess that at least 90% of these people that are in our shelter have been in our shelter before have had all of these barriers or have had a lot of these thoughts yeah i can't i don't have anywhere to go i don't have anywhere this is not safe i'm i'm afraid yeah that's why we have a domestic violence shelter so that they have somewhere to stay they have somewhere to be um rebuild their lives they have somewhere where their kids can be safe and fed and all of these things so we help take down a lot of those barriers obviously there are still some barriers but just at safe on me we really try to make sure that these people that are escaping these situations have it as easy as possible right and that and that might be one of our listeners one of our listeners might be somebody who's going through that we have those services we have those supports 
we have those kinds of advocates um, and we have that kind of access to resources to help a person um, not not cure a person of their self-image or poor self-perception um, uh, and esteem, but we have systems to help put those things back in place again because it is, it is a tool that has been used um, to put you in this very situation, afraid to leave because you don't think you can. So, yeah, I, I think it's a great takeaway. Thanks, Shelby. Perfect.